This is a CBC Podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics Podcast for Thursday, December 14th. MPs weigh in on the fate of the Speaker of the House of Commons as conservatives claim more evidence of partisan activity. I speak with MPs from the Bloc and the NDP. And the Power Panel digs in. Plus, some Liberal MPs are asking Canadian universities whether Jewish students are safe on their campuses. MP Anthony Housefather tells us his concerns. We're going to start on Parliament Hill today, where a committee of MPs has tabled its report on House Speaker Greg Fergus. He's been under fire from Conservative and Bloc MPs since appearing in a video for the outgoing provincial Liberal leader filmed inside the Speaker's office while wearing his Speaker's robe. The CBC's Rafi Bujikanian joins me now. Uh, so Rafi, let's start with this report. There's a lot to go through on this story today. What were the findings from the Proc Committee? Essentially, David, it's saying Greg Fergus was wrong, that he should apologize, which would be second apology because he already has apologized, and also that he should be made to pay a fine, but it's stopping short of asking him to step down. Have a listen to government house leader Karina Gold. The government has been quite clear that, uh, you know, this was a mistake that he made. Uh, however, you know, we do not feel that this is a resignable um, offense, but we will very carefully review PROC's recommendations um, and act in response. So the report is also saying the House of Commons should prepare a briefing binder which outlines clear rules for speakers in these kinds of cases. I should note that uh, perhaps to nobody's surprise, the Bloc Québécois and Conservative members of the right. committee are not in agreement with uh, with everyone else on it and saying he, he should still resign. Okay, and, and clearly uh, the Bloc and the Conservatives feel a, a binder, an apology and a fine is not enough. And Andrew Scheer, the Conservative House leader, he raised a new concern about Fergus today saying there is more evidence of the Speaker's partisanship. What did we hear from Scheer? Yeah, he rose up in the House this morning, about an hour after proceedings started, and uh, revealed an Instagram post from mid-November. So that's about six weeks after Fergus became Speaker. The post showed Fergus at a provincial liberal event for a Quebec member of the National Assembly. Uh, Scheer is arguing that that was out of bounds too. We did speak to federal liberal MP Sophie Chateau tell about this. Uh, She said she was there as well and Fergus was just there attending a liberal cocktail. It was not a fundraising event. We also obtained a statement from the Speaker's office. We're throwing it up on your screen now. It reads in part that uh, this the Speaker's attendance at at this event precedes the introduction of a rigorous new protocol. Mr. Fergus was simply in attendance at this free event, which is in his writing. Okay, because this has been the criticism uh, about Fergus, that his partisanship hasn't stopped since he's become the speaker. Uh, There was also some, uh, while Scheer was making revelations, uh, the CBC also had an exclusive story today from our reporter Elizabeth Thompson that reported that Scheer himself broke House rules earlier this year. Walk us through that. Yeah, so there was a provincial by-election in Ontario in the Oxford riding. Arpan Khanna was the Conservative candidate, and as our colleague Elizabeth Thompson revealed, um, Andrew Scheer appeared in a partisan video because he filmed the video um, campaigning for Khanna in his office. Now, 
she was fined $500 for this. That money actually ended up coming out of Arpan Khanna's campaign. The money was paid, right. but she did not pay for it. Um, Shear's office has been asked about this, and he and the office simply pointed to the Board of Internal Economies meeting minutes about this, which revealed that the the fine had been issued and and had been paid. Uh, I should also say that at the same time, the NDP uh, came out with uh, some allegations of its own today, pointing to fundraising activities. It says she conducted, well, he was speaker in, under the previous conservative government right. of uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper, the NDP, of course, being the only party other than the liberals who are saying uh, Fergus should not be made to step down over what's happened. Right. Okay. And just a small point, the Oscar by-election was a federal by-election. Arpan Kana, now That's part right. of the caucus for sure. All right, Rafi, thank you so much. This is CBC's Rafi Bujikanian. Now, Power and Politics reached out to both Speaker Greg Fergus and Conservative House Leader Andrew Scheer for an interview today, uh, but they were not available. Meanwhile, the Conservatives continued to demand that Fergus resign over what they call his blatant partisanship. I think we've been clear. I think the Speaker uh, should have resigned. He knew what he did was, uh, was wrong, and he's lost confidence of most of the MPs in the House. Joining me now, NDP House Leader Peter Julian and Jean-Denis Garon. He is the Bloc's National Revenue Critic. And I want to be clear, we did ask for a Conservative MP to join this panel, but no one uh, was made available. Uh, Mr. Garon, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, you find yourself in the minority position, the Bloc and the Conservatives on this, because the NDP have decided that an apology and a fine and some remediation is enough. Uh, can you live with that going forward? Well, first, I don't really like the expression minority position, because when it comes to having confidence in the Speaker, of the House of Commons. The Speaker should have the confidence of the House of Commons. Now he has lost the confidence of at least at least 130 MPs because I personally know liberal MPs that don't have confidence in the leader but uh, in the, the Speaker but won't say it. So now uh, what does that report says? First the report of the committee uh, has been drafted by the NDP and by the Liberals, the Conservatives and the Bloc. We have dissident report. What it, what it, it first says that the punishment for being partisan and for lacking judgment would be to pay a few hundred dollars of fine for a speaker that makes almost a hundred thousand dollars of salary premium for, doing, for, for, for having the privilege of doing that job. And, uh, and uh, the second thing is that after more than a century and a half of rules and tradition in that house, they're going to say that they're going to have to draft a user's guide to the speaker for him to behave properly, but the bad news is that that won't replace his lack of judgment. Right. Mr. Fergus doesn't have judgment, and you can't buy judgment, and you can't draft that in any kind of user guide. So, so Mr. Julian, uh, the New Democrats uh, obviously have sided with the Liberals on this and, and agreed that, that uh, Mr. Fergus should stay. How do you uh, think I, that will work, <laughs> though? Like, I, 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 so I wouldn't say that. I mean, what we have is Liberals saying nothing to see here. The, the Bloc, of course, doesn't respect Canadian institutions, uh, not even taking the time during the public hearing to ask questions of Mr. Fergus. They made speeches instead. And the Conservatives, of course, trying to, uh, trying to slag Mr. Fergus, but with things that Mr. Scheer has done already. As you pointed out, CBC reported the, the, the fact that there is uh, apparently a uh, fine that was paid by, by Mr. Scheer because he was using his office for partisan um, a partisan taping of a video and, and that there is a transfer of money that apparently, according to CBC, could not uh, be, in, it could be in contravention of Election Canada rules. So what we have is the other parties not acting in the mature adult way that Canadians expect of them. 
the NDP has been. What we did was ask those tough questions during the hearing. He got the answers. Uh, we pushed for the fine. We pushed for remedial work because that is something that I think all of us understand is a problem. And we've also said uh, that if, if the Speaker ever does this kind of thing again, uh, that we will submit a motion of non-confidence. So we, right. I think, have done uh, the kind of disciplinary measures that are important in this thing, uh, not trying to burn the whole House of Commons down. This is how the NDP approaches things, is the adults in the room. Okay, I, I want to get to the, to the, to the sheer fine in, in just a second. But, but just on the question of Mr. Fergus, you've heard what Mr. Garon has to say. You've heard and seen what the Conservatives are saying about this. How does Parliament function with this many members of Parliament clearly in expressing a, a distaste in the Speaker? And do we really think a binder is going to be the solution to, uh, to this lack of confidence? Uh, a binder, uh, having the proper briefing around impartiality, I was surprised when the clerk testified that there's actually nothing that is told to the Speaker when they start a new job. Now, you'll recall uh, with Speaker Rhoda, uh, it was the NDP that stepped forward. Uh, we were the only party that said, I'm sorry, Mr. Rhoda, you've done a good job, but the, the fault of the, yeah. the tragedy around the Zelensky visit that meant that you have to step down. And the NDP was the only party that did that. No other party called for that. So we're, we're ones who believe in procedure, believe in basing and precedence. And in the case of the clerk not even having any information to give to a new speaker, a new speaker that takes their position halfway through Parliament, it seems to me that that is something that you do. Uh, having run social enterprises in the past, you have a protocol book, you have a briefing book, you make sure that new employees know everything that is expected of them. That didn't happen in this case. So, so Mr. Garan, it looks like um, you're not going to sit through Christmas, despite the filibuster uh, threats uh, earlier uh, this session, and that you will get a break, a reprieve from sort of the tension in the chamber. When you come back, though, and Mr. Fergus is there and presumably will have gotten the briefings that, that, that Mr. Julian and others think could remedy some of this, how do you think it will function? Because we've seen clearly the Conservatives have zero confidence in Mr. Fergus. Do you think Parliament can be managed? And, and nor do we. And let's be clear, there is a Speaker of the House now, but there's no functional Speaker of the House. He has lost control of the House, and we can't work properly. And uh, uh, with regards to the briefing, we, ha we received in committee Mr. Jones, who is a clerk, who is an advisor to the, uh, the, um, the Speaker, and uh, he's been asked, uh, are, were you available to give advice to, uh, the, uh, to the Speaker? And he said yes. And what would have been your advice if the Speaker had asked? And Mr. Jean said, well, I would have told him not to do it. If you write a binder to Mr. Fergus, he won't read it because he doesn't have enough judgment to read it because he didn't even seek advice. And for the third thing, I mean, you know, uh, some people said, including the NDP has been said a lot, including by Mr. Boulris, that uh, it's not a good time to elect a new uh, uh, Speaker of the House. It's not a good time. That's what they say. We have other things to do. So we have... Two things to say about that. The first, the, the, the first thing is that we've been talking about the Speaker of the House for two weeks instead of working on other things. And the real question is, if I may, if, if I That's may, not true. That's and not true. if I may, when's a good time 
for a speaker to become partisan and to lack judgment? February, is March, it? April, May, June. When is it? And the NDP didn't never answer so, that. So I mean, this is why the bloc just wants chaos in the House of Commons. Oh yeah. Oh, what the yeah. NDP has achieved over the That's last two weeks is a dental you care see what partisanship plan. Is? We've you heard as well affordable okay. housing for Indigenous order, people. Order, please. One at a time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's this what is, they do. This is what the, the speaker has yeah, to contend yeah, with. Yeah. The bloc causing what they do. disorder. But the reality is the housing. The consumer protection because of the food price gouging that so many Canadians are living through. Ensuring actually that we have anti-scab legislation in place. These are all measures that the NDP has been able to achieve over the last two weeks. So while the other parties have been trying to, to fight and create chaos, we've been making sure that things get done for people. Housing so, is important. So. Affordability and, and stopping food price gouging is important. Ensuring that people have access to health care, to dental care right. is important. Those are all things that Jagmeet Singh and the NDP have achieved. Okay, uh, I- and Mr. Grant, just a question on, on what Andrew Shear raised today. Uh, I, I accept, we start from the premise, the bloc has no confidence in Mr. Fergus because of the video, full stop. This earlier event that Mr. Shear raised, in, in isolation from the video, is going to a cocktail party like that disqualifying for a Speaker of the House? Because you're still politicians who need to get elected, you know, MPs are whoever gets in that job. Is it okay for them to go to something like this? Mr. Shear did it when he was Speaker, had a cabinet minister come to a fundraiser in his riding. What's the bar here? Well, the, the, the principle in general is that the Speaker of the House can go to a partisan event in his, lo- in his own riding right. uh, for his own party at the federal level, level, which hasn't been done. The problem with Mr. Fergus is that he came to committee and uh, he had an opportunity to tell the committee that he had attended that event and he didn't do it. He, right. uh, it was a time when he apologized. He, could, uh, he, should, he, he should have just open the book. So the real question is how can we trust what this guy says starting from now? There's no way we can do that. So what we believe now is that we've seen the tip of the iceberg and day after day we just realized that the iceberg might be very, very much deeper than what we expected. So, so uh, David, it's quickly. important to note the block didn't ask questions of the speakers. So we did. They, no, they, they made speeches and I was there sitting beside the, the block representative. I think the we important thing is here, rather than being being adults in the room means assuring that the, that the institution is preserved and that we're not dealing with chaos every few weeks. That's certainly what Mr. Polyev wants. Uh, the Conservatives tried to block 120 areas of spending last week. We, we were, voted for 30 hours. He showed up for an hour and then left. And then they tried to cut affordable housing, national defense, uh, food, food safety, no, no. all these things. So the Conservative brand is chaos. Uh, the NDP brand is making sure things are done for people, and we're very proud of the last two weeks but getting all the, these things the, accomplished for Canadians. What the NDP tells us is that there's a good time in the year for a speaker to become partisan and to lack judgment. For them, there's a good time of the year for that, and they have to tell us when, when is that good time of the year. Okay, well, right. we'll, we'll see if we can figure that out. But, but Mr. Julian, I, I do want to circle back to what you raised about Mr. Shear and this report. Now, Mr. Shear uh, was uh, fined, we're told, by the Board of Internal Economy, on which you sit. Uh, $500 for improper filming of a partisan video in his office to support a conservative candidate in a federal by-election. Now, this is different than the Mr. Fergus issue because it was the Speaker's robes in the Speaker's chambers, and that's aside. The issue I wanted to ask you about is that Mr. Shear didn't pay this fine out of pocket. The candidate he was helping reached into their campaign funds and used that to pay the fine. Do you feel that's 
appropriate, that a fine meted out for improper political activity is then paid out of the campaign funds of the politician who is being helped improperly. Well, and, and that, that's why, I mean, CBC does very, very good work in journalism. I, I have read the, the article. The article talks about that, that concern, that this money uh, apparently, according to the article, was, was paid out of the campaign's election fund. That um, would not be in keeping of my understanding of the Canada Elections Act, which means uh, that you have the Conservative candidate violating Canada Elections Act. Now, it's too soon to actually submit that return, yeah, uh, I think, audit. for auditing. But yeah. the reality is if that, that's a serious violation. And we've seen Conservatives before violate electoral laws. We remember Dean Del Mastro, who served time in prison. We've had a number of Conservative MPs that have, have been sanctioned by Elections Canada. Elections Canada is not something that, that you can just make up rules around. And my concern is that that may, if the reports are true, that may have violated the Canada Elections Act. That has serious repercussions, uh, both for Mr. Canna and potentially for Mr. Scheer. Mr. Garon, la, do, last word to you. Do you have any thoughts on, on this particular issue on whether it's appropriate for campaign donations to be used to pay a fine imposed by the House of Commons? I think there's a good lesson for all parliamentarians and all parliaments with that is that we should respect the rules because when we don't respect the rule, when one of us doesn't respect the rules, it erodes the public's confidence in democracy. And I'm sure my colleague will agree with me, uh, agree with me on that. And we have to be mindful of that. Now, there's a major difference between what Mr. Scheer did and what Mr. Fergus did, is, which is that Mr. Fergus is violating the law. Mr. Fergus is the Speaker of the House. We don't ask him to resign as an MP. We're just right. telling him to step down and continue doing what he was doing before. He was a Speaker of the House, which right. is uh, twisting arms and doing partisan work. Okay, and I should point out uh, that Prime Minister Trudeau was also fined $500 for shooting a video like this. But as far as we know at this point, they paid it back either out of his pocket properly uh, as opposed to... Uh, using uh, election donations. Uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you both. Jean-Denis Garant and Peter Julian. Now, we did ask a Conservative MP to speak with us today, but no one was made available for this. They didn't want to show up. They didn't want to defend their position. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you both for, for being here. Five Liberal MPs are asking universities across Canada about their plans to protect Jewish students. In a letter to 25 university presidents, they write, Since October 7th, we have seen gunshots fired at Jewish schools, firebombings at Jewish institutions, threats of boycott against Jewish-owned businesses, and reports across the country of Jewish students feeling unsafe on their campuses. For more on what these MPs are calling for, one of the signatories, Liberal MP Anthony Housefather, joins me from his riding in Montreal. Mr. Housefather, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, David. What is it you're seeing on campuses or hearing from students that, that motivated this letter? So anti-Semitism was already at growing at epidemic proportions in Canada. Jews make up about 1.4% of Canada's population and yet are the subject of over 50% of religiously based hate crimes. And even before October the 7th, uh, when Hamas started a war against Israel, we had a lot of issues with Jewish students on campus. But since then, it's grown exponentially. And, and literally every day, I get contacted by Jewish students at McGill, at Concordia, at University of Montreal, um, nearby, um, and even across the country, telling me that they feel unsafe on campus, that they are being, you know, receiving anti-Semitic insults from fellow students, that they're being discriminated against by teachers, that, they're ha that the administration is not taking any effective steps to protect them. Um, I spent a lot of time talking to these students. I even brought the prime minister to my riding to talk to students. Mm. And at this point, 
I felt that we needed to really do something more, which is why I asked the Justice Committee to study anti-Semitism, including on campus. And my colleagues and I, David Lametti, Marco Mendicino, Ben Carr, and Anna Ganey, and I wrote this letter to the, the 25 biggest Canadian universities asking what they're doing and asking for a written response that we would table with the committee. Your letter, though, calls out a lack of action by university leadership to protect Jewish students. How are they falling short and what specific actions do you want to see? Yeah, I mean, we get contacted constantly by Jewish students, by Hillel chapters. Hillel is the Jewish organization that is charged generally in most big universities with representing Jewish students to say that they make reports um, you know, to the university uh, administration of actions that have been taken against Jewish students, uh, feel, you know, uh, harassment, uh, etc., um, both in class and outside of class, uh, and that no action has been taken that, um, you know, calls for genocide against Jews, um, you know, are, 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 are sort of buried away in various chants that are being made at university, uh, you know, that, that call for the eradication of the state of Israel, um, making these students feel that they need to walk through these demonstrations to get to class because they're happening right in the middle of the university. Right. There, there, there's, there's all kinds of complaints that we're getting, and university administrators have been slow to take action. And I think that's a general perception where it's not only the Jewish students, but Jewish faculty uh, and Jewish staff at the universities have contacted me as well um, to, to say that they feel uncomfortable. Right. Uh, and and then, you, then you also get parents. Uh, for example, one, one rabbi's wife in Montreal is accompanying students to classes at night because they feel unsafe getting there. That, that just is not normal in our society. No, I, I certainly, I know a Jewish family here in Ottawa and their kids have been harassed in high school. They're not at university, but, you know, this, this is happening. But the chants you talk about, um, I'm assuming this is the from the river to the sea chant. That is such a flashpoint. Or antifada, antifada. We, I mean, antifada means killing civilians. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Whether the people chanting it know it or not is, is, is a chant that is intended to say that Israel should be eradicated from, from the earth. I mean, and, and, and the, the group, Hamas, that, you know, that propagates that chant, you know, essentially, um, is a group that calls for the eradication not only of, of, of Israel, but of Jews. Mm. So for Jewish students who feel a closeness to the state of Israel, who have relatives, friends, um, a connection to our biblical homeland, it, 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 it's, it, it's deeply hurtful to have to walk through that to get to class. Now, it doesn't mean that people, you know, can't be chanting that off in the park if they want to. Uh, but I, I it, it, it's, you know, I don't think it crosses necessarily a criminal code line. But it, it's certainly something that you wouldn't want to have to experience in your daily life on campus. Right. Nor would it be to be called a Zionist uh, pig or, or, or when you express support for Israel. Neither of those are acceptable on a university campus. So I, I, I want to raise a different interpretation of that chant, and this is not me making the argument. I want to make that very clear. Uh, we, we spoke with Mona Abu Amara on the show last night, who is the Palestinian Authority General Representative to Canada, and her argument is that this phrase has kind of evolved uh, in its purpose to be about being having rights and freedom in the area from the river to the sea, So, and, and that some of the people chanting it aren't calling for the eradication of Israel, but more of a liberation of the Palestinian people. So how do we reconcile those two vastly different interpretations in, in your view? So, so let's look at it from this perspective. As a Jewish person, knowing the origins of the chant and knowing what the chant, just by the words, the plain face of those words, from the river to the sea, means there is no Israel, right? 
So a Jewish student, knowing that the group that started the chant wants to eliminate Israel and all Jews, hearing the chant that says that there should be no Israel and the Jews should somehow disappear from the map in that area, what is the Jewish person who hears that chant supposed to think? And why should they have to be exposed to that in the middle of the university? It's like saying some other racist defamatory slogan somehow it, it you know changed around in the popular culture in some group to mean something else it doesn't mean that the group that is impacted by it should have to tolerate it, it i mean i mean it's it, it's so discourteous to say that well we know how horrible the chant originally was but now it means something else to some of us so we can go and chant it in your face that it's just it's, it's inappropriate it's horrible and 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 again please demonstrate for the people of Gaza, demonstrate for a free Palestine, demonstrate for a two-state solution, whatever you want to do, but you don't need to use chants that hurt the other group when you chant them. Uh, the issue of this happening on campus, and, and as you view it as, as a call for the genocide of Jews, we saw this play out in the United States in spectacular fashion recently at, at a parliamentary uh, committee that's cost uh, a university president their job and has others, uh, you know, sort of uh, under I- intense scrutiny. Uh, where do you think, where do you want this to go here? Uh, do you see a similar process as to what we saw in the U.S. with people coming to committees and, and explaining themselves, or do you want sort of an exchange? of letters well what are you hoping to see well there are two separate tracks the first track is i want to see what university administrations are doing to tackle the anti-semitism issue and i want them to tell me whether a call for the genocide of jews is a violation of the code of conduct of their universities Mm -hmm. they should be able to say yes it is because the call for genocide of jews is hate speech in canada um, if done in a public forum so if any university president answers that letter saying no, it depends on the context, as the heads of Penn, MIT, and Harvard did, well, then that person is somebody I definitely want to see at committee, and I want to publicly question them about it. Um, so I will use the letters and the responses we get to these letters to determine, in my view, who I want to see as a witness before the Justice Committee, which I very much hope will put aside some meetings to deal with the issue of anti-Semitism on campus. But also the letter, I think, makes these universities aware that there are members of the House of Commons, including a former attorney general and a former public safety minister, that are very concerned about this issue and want to see action by the universities, Mm -hmm. and they're not going to get away with just burying it because we will bring them before a parliamentary committee and we will talk about it. So, so going back to this test of, of calling for the genocide of Jews um, and going back to our conversation about the chant, um, you, you said, you, in your view, you didn't think it was a criminal code violation if they want to go chant it on a park, go chant yeah, it. because I don't think park. that's a clear... I think genocide, when you say all Jews in the world should be killed, Th- that, that's yeah. a clear call yeah. for, you know, for genocide. When you right. use a chant that could mean different things to different people, I could argue that it's hateful to my group, but I don't necessarily believe it arises to criminal conduct. Okay, but would that be something you think should violate a university code of conduct, that particular chant? That, that's I, what I'm trying to, I, yes? I, 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 in my view, I do because of the way the history of that chant and the way that it is framed to the person that's hearing it on the other side. I, I think universities, as you know, and schools throughout this country don't have to go to the criminal level to say we don't want racist, hateful behavior on our schools. And unfortunately, what many in the Jewish community believe is that anti-Semitism is not treated with the same seriousness that anti-Black racism, 
um, uh, anti-gay discrimination, Islamophobia, others are treated uh, because the people view Jews as white and privileged and and you know and, and and I think that this is a problem. I you know again I think there needs to be discussion about what is permitted or what is not permitted. I'm not saying to ban demonstrations. I'm not saying to say you can't have a Palestinian flag. But chants like that, if you're going to do them to me, shouldn't be on a university campus where Jewish students and others who are pro-Israel need to walk through that 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 space. It's it's just not right. Okay, I, I, I appreciate that, those explanations. I, look, I, I've got one more question for you. Uh, I, I know it's been a tough week for you and the Jewish MPs uh, in the Liberal Caucus um, with this vote at the UN. Uh, you, you disagree with it. You stated that immediately. Uh, how has it affected things in, inside the caucus? And, and I'm assuming you're staying in the Liberal Caucus despite your disagreement on this, right? You are not looking to bolt from the party? Look, the... Um you know, I believe that I am one of those 150-something luckiest people to have the ability to influence the government and to be in caucus. And when I disagree, I'm one of those MPs that will actually disagree. Mm-hmm. A fair, you know, whether privately, which is my preference, or or publicly if I need to. Um, and and I think that my goal is to influence the party to do what it is that I think me and my constituents. Um, and others that you know support that want want us to do. And I was very disappointed in the vote at the UN. I don't think it was consistent with the statement that we made with Australia and New Zealand that day, which you know we we had worked on and and I was comfortable with. And and uh, and I said it. And and I and I think I will continue to say that at the United Nations, where Israel is singled out for vilification by many countries at a time when Israel is at war, um, it is not the appropriate time to shift Canada's traditional position to vote against uh, you know, Israel uh, and call for an immediate ceasefire, which is impractical um, and, 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 and completely unfair to Israel because it would mean Israel would have to lay down arms and the terrorist group that it's fighting against has no obligations under international law. Right. Uh, Anthony Housefather, Liberal MP, I uh, appreciate it as always. Thank you, sir, for coming on today. Thank you so much, David. Have a great day. You too, sir. Conservative House Leader Andrew Scheer is raising a new allegation against Speaker Greg Fergus, alleging he participated in yet another partisan event. It's billed as a cocktail with activists or volunteers. If any member of Parliament has ever said anything about the importance of the independence and integrity of the Speaker, they should allow me to table these documents. These documents this year is referring to is this photo from a provincial liberal event last month that was billed as a cocktail party for party activists. Fergus appears with fellow Quebec liberal MP Sophie Chatel. But Chatel says the event was not a fundraiser, and Fergus dropped by in his capacity as the federal MP, not as speaker. Meanwhile. Hello, conservative members in Oxford, Ontario. I am so proud to endorse Arpan Canna. The CBC reported today that Scheer broke Parliament's rules by filming this partisan endorsement for a fellow Conservative in his Parliament Hill office. NDP House Leader Peter Julian says no one on the Hill should behave this way going forward. It's not acceptable for anybody, not acceptable for Mr. Scheer, not acceptable for Mr. Fergus. And we're going to make sure, we're going to make sure that those, those kinds of things don't happen again. 
Okay, should all of this raise concerns, or is this just a lot of loud partisan finger-pointing? We're going to bring in the power panel on this. Shachi Curl is the president of the Angus Reid Institute. James Moore is a senior advisor at Denton's and a former conservative cabinet minister. Andrew Thompson is a former Saskatchewan NDP cabinet minister, now chief of government relations at the University of Toronto. And here with me in studio, Stevie O'Brien, a senior advisor at Macmillan Vantage. Uh, hello to you all. Thanks for doing this. Uh, James, uh, I, I want to start with these new allegations Andrew Shear raised today. It, it's a photo of Ferguson. He's not in his speaker's robes. He's at an event in his federal riding, but it's provincial. Uh, and it was before he agreed to all these new protocols and got in trouble for the video he filmed for the Ontario Liberal Party. Is this a firing offense or is this okay behavior for, for a speaker of the House of Commons? Uh, probably not okay behavior. Uh, and if Mr. Fergus or Speaker Fergus is going to survive all of this, he needs to understand that he is on very brittle, fragile probation until he moves forward. My advice to him as he goes into the Christmas break, would be to find a way to find Peter Milliken. Either he's either he's somewhere between Shore Club in Ottawa, Kingston, and <laughs> and, and downtown Toronto. <laughs> Offer him a big, large glass, a twelve ounce glass of Merlot and a steak, and take him out to dinner and ask him about effective protocols of being speaker. Peter Milliken, his householder, his his newsletter that he sends out as a member of Parliament, he refused to do it in red. It was only ever in green or in black, and he was known as the longest serving speaker that we've had. And he was known to be go out. He wouldn't go to the Liberal Christmas party even. He wouldn't attend. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have uh, artifacts in his office that were sort of a tribute to Pierre Trudeau or Jean Chrétien. He was militant about his. His, his ideological uh, and partisan uh, agnosticism, and and I think Mr. Fergus would be would Speaker Fergus would be wise in the next couple of weeks to make every effort to not only do all that and, and not being facetious or being jokey about it, but to actually reach out to people who yeah. have successfully had the confidence of legislatures and to seek their advice and to be seen to be seeking their advice and to act accordingly and not be as partisan as he has been throughout most of his adult life. Well, and Stevie, if he does do that, he should probably pay for that meal out of his own pocket rather than <laughs> trying to expense it just to avoid any more uh, potential problems. Uh, but, you know, th this kind of comes as they're already dealing with the video controversy, and it seems like Ferguson's tenure will survive because the New, new Democrats are opting for a punishment rather than a, a, a termination and a vote of no confidence. Can he manage things going forward, though, with the bloc and the Conservatives so firmly against him? Oh, I, I think he can. I think that a lot of this is manufactured mega-style outrage uh, that is sort of a sideshow at the end of silly season to uh, distract a little bit from the fact that the Conservatives had a bad poll and a failed filibuster. I mean, but he did do the video in his robes. I mean, even liberals are saying no, so that, that's a mistake, right? It was a mistake, and I think that the uh, penalty that's been sort of put forward by the House committee is proportionate to the mistake. It's consistent with the penalty that was levied against uh, uh, Andrew Scheer for a similar type video. And I think, um, so I think, I think it's, it's, it's adequate. And, and the Prime Minister. We, we should say Justin Trudeau has also been fined $500 for improperly filming a fundraising video uh, in his parliamentary offices. Um, so, uh, Andrew, what, what's your take on where this is and where this leaves the Speaker? Because uh, maybe it's not a firing offense, as James says, but it mm -hmm. shows a pattern of participation in partisan events, which he kind of didn't disclose when he appeared before a committee, and, and, you know, and, and it adds weight to the argument uh, against him. Well, I, I kind of like James's idea of going and finding Peter Milliken. I think that's great. But you know who he definitely should not go and take advice from is Andrew Scheer. Mm. Because Andrew Scheer was notorious for doing this type of uh, political uh, activity while he was a speaker, while he's uh, 
uh, supposedly our deputy speaker, uh, you know, uh, claiming now that this is so impure when he himself had been doing doing this before. I think what, what needs to happen, we're at Christmas, go shake all the skeletons, the ghosts of Christmas past out of their closets and uh, come back to the house and hopefully people take the advice of folks like Peter Julian who once again is coming across like the, you know, the adult in the room. And we need more of that in Parliament, and I'm glad to see the NDP stepping up to, to play that role. Shachi, uh, you know, th- th- I, this has been described uh, by Rob Benzie when he comes on this panel as a Planet Ottawa story. But, you know, institutions have to function, and they have rules and guardrails for a reason. I mean, how do you think Canadians uh, view things like this? Well, none of this adds any trust or credibility to an institution that already is suffering from a great deal of uh, lack of trust and lack of credibility in the eyes of Canadians. When we poll them and we ask, well, okay, when you, uh, when you think about Parliament specifically and when you think about the debates and the tone and the tenor of what's happening, what are the words that come to, not, to mind? The top five words are dishonest, disrespectful, uninformative, Uh, Hang on, what are the other ones? I don't even need glasses for this. Uh, Posturing and useless. Those are the other two. So, look, we are at a point in time where Canadian households are in the midst of a cost-of-living crisis. Food bank use is at an all-time high. We have an opioid crisis going on in this country. We have a mental health crisis going on in this country. Canadians elect their MPs across the political spectrum to go to Ottawa and sit in Parliament and debate legislation, pass legislation, exchange ideas, and try to make the country better. That is their job. Uh, I am not minimizing the concerns raised by the opposition around Mr. Fergus's videos. I'm not minimizing the fact that Mr. Shear appears to be offside too. But what Canadians hear is a lot of blah, 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 blah. They don't hear their MPs actually doing the job they were sent to Ottawa to do. Okay, someone is going to clip that blah, 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 and put it on social media. So you have that to look forward to over your oh, Christmas holidays, <laughs> but, but James, I want to talk just a little bit about the Andrew Shear story that my colleague Elizabeth Thompson uh, did today. Uh, $500 fine by the Board of Internal Economy for filming uh, a video in support of Arpankana's uh, candidacy in the Oxford by-election. Now look, Justin Trudeau has been fined for this for filming a fundraising video uh, in his office somewhere as a violation of the rules. What's different here, uh, as I understand it, is Shear didn't pay the fine personally. The Arpon Canna campaign used their campaign money to pay the Shear fine. Is that allowed under the rules that if an MP is fined for improper political activity in support of a candidate, the candidate can pick up the tab? Don't know. Sounds not correct. It sounds like Andrew Shear should pay the fine. Five hundred dollars, not a lot of money, uh, but it does send a signal. So uh, it's, it seems odd to me. I'm not sure what the rules are. I was on the board of Internal Economy. I never, we never issued any fines. We did things like chastise people for putting partisan stuff in their newsletters and having logos on their parliamentary websites and and things like that, and you know mitigate some HR issues. But uh, but you know it's, it sounds odd. It seems like Andrew Shear should should take hold of that. But to Shachi's point though about you know the adjectives. That are thrown at Parliament. The, the frustrating thing, again, as a former member of Parliament, is that you know there are 338 members of Parliament, 
330 of them, 325, 330 of them are doing their job, you know, spending time away from their family, showing up on time, uh, attending the votes, doing their due diligence, serving, servicing their constituents, keeping their nose clean, doing everything that they should do that, that would be deemed appropriate behavior. Then you have a variance of a handful of people who are who are not acting appropriately, and then they get castigated on the entire net. And that variance, by the way, of inappropriate behavior of that margin is probably right. far smaller than almost any other workplace in the country. So it's very, very frustrating. But when it, when it is in the office of the speaker, uh, that and it is in the office of someone who's in a position of leadership, then it, it bears a certain weight and a certain responsibility for people to clean these things up and, and to act accordingly. Right. So with regard to Andrew Scheer and his fine, he should pay it personally, and, 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 and Speaker Fergus should make clear how he's going to make right the confidence that he has in the institution and the institution in him. Stevie, in the case of, of, of Justin Trudeau, when he was fined, it was the party that picked up the tab because he was doing a fundraising video for the party, not for an individual candidate. So I don't know how election rules would intersect with that, you know, as opposed to like it being you know, globally from the party as opposed to an individual candidate. Uh, but what's your take on, on this one today? On, on the fines? Uh, on, or? Yeah, uh, well, on both of it. I mean, uh, on whether the election contributions can be used to pay for something like this um, uh, in terms of the sheer situation. I would be shocked if the election rules allowed uh, Mr. Scheer to use campaign funds to cover uh, to cover fines, and I think that there will be lots of people right now going through all of the rules and checking all of the uh, the, the the paperwork to see what can be done to rectify it. Uh, and if they can, that they'll probably go, and he'll. I expect we'll see that he pays the fine. Yeah, uh, Andrew, like the, the this hasn't been audited yet by Elections Canada, so we don't know. But but what's your sense uh, on this one? Well, it does seem a bit curious, doesn't it? And I think that you know again. Even to, to James's point about the levying of fines, that seems relatively new as a, as a uh, tool that's being used, but it does seem like a, if an individual is being sanctioned that they should uh, step up and uh, pay the fine themselves and recognize that that is the consequence of their action. You know, it's, uh, it, it does bring disrepute to the institution. I think Shachi's points about, you know, the need for, for Parliament to be aware of how it's, uh, it's perceived overall is important. You know, when we were in government, we used to have a saying that, you know, boring is good. And, of course, anybody that watches this show knows some of us got pretty good at that. But that's what you want to kind of send as a symbol uh, that you're in control, that things are moving forward, you can get stuff done. And uh, right now I think that there is a real question about why that's not happening. And if it's not happening, whose fault is it? Shachi, uh, what do you think on this one? Look, uh, it's the end of the year. I do know, to James's point, that there are plenty of uh, collegial, smart MPs who are going to figure out how to bring some resolution to uh, the, the back chat and the back and forth on the impasse around the fate of, Greg, of Speaker Greg Fergus. Uh, I, I also take his point about a lot of MPs doing the good work, but as Andrew points out, you know, perception mm -hmm. is reality. So let's get some grown-ups, let's get some resolution over what to do, and uh, let's start January with a new intention. Everyone's nerves are frayed, and, you know, everyone just wants to focus on family and a bit of rest time in the next couple of weeks. Not this, trust me. Right, well, it, it seems like they're going to get it, because the government house leader says they're all going to go home tomorrow. That's assuming there's no last-minute uh, conservative attempt at at another vote marathon because he did promise to sit through Christmas. Uh, that last filibuster, have a listen to what the Labour Minister, Seamus O'Regan, had to say about how that last one worked out. What we do here is vote on the things. You voted against all the things. We've taped them all and we will be using them in ads, in answers to questions, talking to our constituents on each and every one of them. 
So, James, there's a pretty loud declaration of, of liberal tactic for the next little while. The quiet part got said out loud, but they, 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 they believe, the liberals, that this filibuster gave them something. Did this backfire on the conservatives, or is that just bluster? No, it was always thus. They were always going to do this. And and look, every year there's one big omnibus bill in Parliament, and it's called the federal budget. And any line item in that, you can say, well, they voted against the budget, therefore they voted against, you know, cancer research. They voted against support for farmers. They voted against aquaculture mitigation. They voted, you can, yeah. you know, roster it all out. Jean Chrétien did this, Paul Martin did this, Stephen Harper did this, Justin Trudeau has done this and will continue to do this. So it's, it's kind of par for the course. But it, it's certainly one of the things I would say to say to Minister Reagan is that should Pierre Polyev become prime minister, they the liberals will engage in a filibuster and then they will be accused of the inverse and then the conservatives will accuse the liberals of the inverse. There's there, there's nothing that is original about any of what we're seeing right here. And to Shachi's point, Christmas break can't come soon enough. <laughs> Stevie, uh, what do you think of the, the effectiveness of the argument Mr. O'Regan is making there? So I think that... Beyond just using the uh, the line by line items, and I, I agree with James, it's a tactic that's been used by all parties. But I think beyond that, the filibuster was a failure. Uh, Polyev stuck his neck out. He tried to break the Liberals, and instead, he inadvertently unified a fractured caucus and is sending them home for Christmas break, really rejuvenated and optimistic. And uh, by showing his true colors, he's sort of suffered for it in the polls a bit as well. And he's down five points. Andrew, what's, what's your take on this? Well, I'm not sure how unified the Liberal caucus is after the UN vote uh, the other day. I think there's a lot of divisions on a lot of issues that are, uh, you know, may uh, look different in the new year as people have a chance to reflect on them. But, but this particular set of tactics, I do agree with Stevie, it looks like the filibuster failed. And you'll see, uh, I've certainly noticed from both Liberals and uh, NDP pushing out messaging now about very specific votes that the Tories, not just line by line, were calling for, or you might argue in, a, in an omnibus budget uh, bill they were voting against, but they actually had specific and very specific lines that they wanted pulled out, things they wanted defunded. Uh, for certain constituencies, that will, if not, uh, causes them to think twice about kind of what Conservative priorities are, will make them wonder just exactly what the point of the whole filibuster was to start with. Uh, Shachi, uh, your, your quick take on this as a last word. Well, Andrew set that up beautifully. Uh, the whole point of it, in many ways, had nothing to do with what was happening in Parliament. It, it had a lot to do with those clips that they could then turn into uh, digital ads, uh, fundraising uh, ads, uh, just opportunities to provide marketing collateral around, here's what we did, uh, here was our term, our winter term at work, and please send money and please vote for us. Uh, and that's not something that's sensitive to one poll here or one poll there. Stevie mentions they're five points down. It's it's also honest and transparent to mention that uh, there's there's still a ten point lead yeah. that the conservatives are enjoying off of that very poll abacus as we've got polling out today uh, that that echoes that trend. The broader point is this is all now about going home. Never mind what happened in Ottawa. This is where uh, the strategists and the campaign folks come on and say, uh, how do we get that onto Instagram? How do we get that onto TikTok? How do we turn that into money that gets donated for the year ahead? Mm -hmm. All right, gang. Uh, always good to talk to you. I'm not. I'm, I'm gone on Thursday of next week, so I'm not going to see you next week. I'm we'll starting my you. vacation, but uh, we'll see you in the new year. Thank you so much to the power panel: Stevie O'Brien, Andrew Thompson, James Moore, and Shachi Curl. Thanks, gang. Thanks, David.
That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.